Good afternoon, Patriots. You are listening to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the embarrassing first set of talks the Biden administration held with China. Next on Living with Liberty. I don't recall a time in history where America was a bigger embarrassment than it is right now. Whether it be our president, who, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, is declining rapidly and likely has no idea where he is most of the time, or the parade of Democrats publicly continuing their seemingly endless narrative of everything being racist. The world is laughing at us hard. Now, We are having summits with world powers with no real agenda, and predictably they just come in and eat our lunch. China breaks the agreed-upon rules for that summit for the discussion there, and Anthony Blinken and team just sit there and take it. That's not exactly a confidence builder to us as citizens that our government's going to be able to turn back a, a world power should there be some sort of actual conflict nor can it be real confidence-inspiring to our allies who are supposedly glad that we are returning to the world stage as leaders. Well, that's uh, the official Blinken propaganda line anyway. This meeting with the Chinese was an embarrassing disaster. Don't be surprised when China finishes off their takeover in Hong Kong, squashes all remaining vestiges of of, uh, pushback there, and then rolls into Taiwan next. And don't be surprised when the Biden administration sits on their hands and does nothing about it. The Biden administration officials proved that that's about all they'll do after China came into Alaska and absolutely disrespected the American delegation and basically dared any country to try and stop them in their, their, quest, to call, their quest to conquer the world. China basically told us there to sit down and shut up, and our bureaucrats did exactly that while they listened to China spew their propaganda. According to Wang He, the U.S. fell into four traps set by the CCP. This is all from an Epic Times piece that I will link in the description box. It's titled, U.S. Falls into Four Traps Set by the CCP in U.S.-China Talks. Now, the first trap that uh, Wang He notes is the talks themselves were a trap. Wang He notes in his piece that as far as the U.S.-China relations are concerned, it's been the CCP that has begged the United States to stop the decoupling of uh, our economies and sanction. Wang He notes that without substantial concessions from the communist regime, there would be no need for the U.S. to hold the meeting at all, and that before the new administration had made known any policy decisions on China, they invited them in for talks. Now, all of this begs the question of, what is this administration doing? We already know and can plainly see in the first eight, nine weeks now of this administration that it is the most incompetent administration this country has ever seen. 
we know that not one of Biden's cabinet members is qualified for their role, and it is showing. The lack of direction and common sense in dealing with what perhaps is the biggest threat to the world right now is astounding even for this clown show of an administration. It's almost as if Blinken thought he was rolling into a gig with his band. Trump's policies obviously had China hurting to the point that they were, according to Wang He anyway, begging for mercy. Well, why meet then? Why not tell the Chinese we won't talk about anything? We won't talk about lifting tariffs. We won't talk about uh, decoupling of, of our economies until you take care of the human rights abuses and that you get out of Hong Kong and stop this saber rattling around Taiwan and, and your little islands you're building out in the South China Sea. If they were that hard up to stop the decoupling, the CCP that is, then tell them we are going to continue our path until the Chinese people of all beliefs are granted basic human rights. But no, you had the Tony Blinken experience here rolling in to this meeting like they were going to negotiate a gig with a bar owner. The second trap is the Chinese delegation tested the rules by breaking the diplomatic protocol of speaking for two minutes. Yang Jiaichi rolled on with a scripted speech that lasted 16 minutes. And Blinken and team just sat there and took it. They didn't try to butt in. They didn't try to interrupt. They didn't get mad, get up and throw the Chinese out and call the talks over. They sat there and took that verbal tongue lashing. Now, what does that tell you about the U.S. response and what it will be when China rolls into Taiwan and uh, take, you know, basically takes over what's recognized as a sovereign nation? What's that tell you about our administration's response to anything anytime anyone comes to bully us? Biden sure has some tough words for, for Putin, but it seemed like he backed down after, after Putin challenged him to a little, uh, a little debate over Skype or Zoom or whatever. The way this is looking, it's starting to trend towards Germany's march through Europe leading up and through World War II. Neville Chamberlain kept appeasing Hitler. Hitler said one thing and did another. I see the same thing unfolding here, except the Chinese are scripting what they will do, they're telling us what they'll do, and they're testing the response, uh, our response in particular as the United States, to their obvious provocations. Now, since our weak-ass delegation sat there and took China's tongue-lashing, that's enough of a signal to China that their advances in Southeast Asia will see little resistance and little fight from the United States. This is absolutely embarrassing. We continue to, to tout that we're back as world leaders on the stage. And then, you know, this happens, this, these talks happen with China where they just come in and absolutely disrespect us on our own turf, no less. Now, the third trap the CCP set here was turning things back onto the U.S. and drawing a red line in the sand. Yang said that the United States does not have the qualifications to say that it wants to speak to China 
from a, uh, from a position of strength. And Yang also noted that the CCP's leadership and China's system are supported wholeheartedly by the Chinese people, and any attempt to change China's social system will be futile. Now, I'd bet all the money I have that the people of Hong Kong feel differently, as do the Uyghurs, and I'm sure numerous other uh, mainland China uh, Chinese people across the country. I'm sure the people of Taiwan feel a lot differently as well. The CCP is basically daring the U.S. to take action on you know, everything related to what they've been doing in Hong Kong, the South China Sea, and the Uyghurs, and they're daring us to do something about it. The CCP at this point knows the U.S. will not do anything about it under Biden. That is why they are being so bold. That is why they brought it up. That's why they're pointing their finger and wagging their finger at us and trying to turn uh, these things back on the United States. Now, just imagine for a second if this was Mike Pompeo they were speaking to in this meeting. I guarantee you that first uh, two minutes and one second of that original scripted speech and Pompeo would have got up, that meeting would have been over, that Chinese delegation would have been thrown out, told to go back home, and they would be hit with more sanctions, more tariffs, and to boot, maybe all of their diplomats would have been thrown out of the country. But no, we now have the Biden administration who would rather pick a fight with Russia and Vladimir Putin than actually acknowledge the growing threat that is China. Russia isn't the threat China is. They do not have the economic power. Yes, they have weaponry, but they are not the economic power that China is. And, and they're thinking about this in terms of, uh, of kind of that old-time warfare of, you know, mil militarily. This isn't just a military battle anymore. It's military, yes, but it's also information. It's also subversion. It's also like uh, a, a lot of uh, spies and, and information. This is more of an information war than it is a physical war. But again, I don't, I don't get it. Why, I don't, why would you think Russia is a bigger threat at this point than China? Especially after we've been spending years giving China our intellectual property as part of part of uh, deals to, to enter the country from an, uh, from an econo economic standpoint and enter that market. It, it, this bumbling administration is totally blind to it. They're thinking in the old way. They're thinking of Cold War circa 1960s you know, through 1980s. The CCP is telegraphing their intentions, but our officials would rather just sit there and take a verbal beating. I don't know if it's because our total government has gone woke. I don't know what it is at this point. We've gone total snowflake. The fourth trap here, according to Wang, uh, Wang He, lies in the U.S. side's intention to seek cooperation with the CCP, even when facing such fierce competition. At what point will our government officials as well as our corporations, wake up to the fact that China is not our friend. I don't care how many people, how big of a market China is, as long as that government is in place, 
China is not our friend. I've said it before on my show. I'll say it now, and I'm sure I'll say it again in the future. We need to pull back from China. We need to continue with the decoupling of our economies. We need to reshore our production, move production to other countries more amenable to the United States, whatever it takes at this point. We need to stop giving them our intellectual property. We need to stop funding the CCP. Remember back to earlier when Wang He said it's a CCP that was begging to stop the decoupling. We need to double down and do it more. We need to decouple our economies. We need, we've, we've taken the easy road and we've blacklisted places like Cuba and Venezuela who how much money is a company going to make from there? We've, we've taken the easy way in, in, in you know, I'll put this in quotes, in, in fighting uh, oppressive regimes. Uh, uh, get out of here with the Cuba and Venezuela. We've turned a blind eye to China and their abuses of their citizens. Would it be tough as we decouple from China and move stuff back and cut, it, cut things off from, you know, from a... Uh, uh, an import standpoint from China? Absolutely it would. There, there's still way too much. There's still a lot that we get from China. There's still s- industries that are pretty much solely in China that we rely on. And it's not easy to move entire supply chains and find suitable alternatives elsewhere in terms of uh, supplying our, our, our needs and our demands as consumers. But is it necessary? At this point, the way the CCP has been acting, yes, it should be abundantly clear after this beatdown the Chinese delegation gave the U.S. envoy that China's intention is set on world domination at this point. Companies would be wise to get out of China. The rate things are going, it's quite possible that the CCP nationalizes all the joint ventures and takes over American companies that are on the mainland. It's quite possible, and I would call it likely, that the Chinese cut off supplies of rare earth metals. For those that know about rare earth metals, that's a bit of a misnomer. They're not actually that rare, but they're called rare earth metals anyway. Um, But they are the biggest producers and and refiners of those things. And those go into things like our cell phones, computers, etc. And it's also likely Taiwan is the next target, and that would mean they would control China, that is, would control the semiconductor market as Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company is the largest in the world, supplying over 50% of the world's chips for devices uh, like phones and your tablets, for cars, for computers. Anything that's a smart device has a chip in it. That would cripple the U.S. economy should China gain control of Taiwan nationalize that chip business, and then they decide who they're going to sell chips to. And I can guarantee you it won't be the United States. It would take years to recover from something like that. That would cripple us more uh, than any sort of attack on our mainland. That would be absolutely devastating. And you think about these chip plants, and we're putting them in basically everything now. Those plants are highly specialized and expensive to build, and it takes years to build a a chip plant. This embarrassment of a meeting only served to embolden the CCP. 
they came here to test the waters and that's it. And the Tony Blinken experience didn't have a plan going in there, had no agenda and, and sat there and, 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 and took the tongue lashing. Uh, and now the CCP left Alaska more emboldened than ever. The lack of fight, the lack of holding the Chinese accountable for the rule breaking at, at, at this, at this summit only signaled to them, to the CCP, that the United States is as feeble as its president and will not pose much of a threat to stop its advances in Southeast Asia and truthfully beyond there. We see history unfolding on repeat right before our eyes. We have a brutal regime hell-bent on regional and world domination and a supposed world power that just seems to want to sit on its hands and appease the aggressor. That is always a recipe for disaster. Now, before I sign off today, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Robert Mather's book, The Implicit Biases and the Unconscious, Liberal Biases, Racial Prejudice, and Politics. For those that don't follow, follow Dr. Mather on uh, social media or his website, he is in the lion's den day in and day out as a conservative social psychologist which if you know anything about the field, it's a very, very liberal field. Uh, not many conservatives in that, field of, uh, in that field of work. Now I'm just about done with the book and it is extremely fascinating. Uh, the, the case studies are fantastic and outline things like why we need more conservative social psychologists, you know, brings balance to the, the whole uh, field of study. And, really goes into the impact of the liberal slant of psychology and its impact on society. Now, perhaps my favorite case study so far in the book has been the one that uh, Dr. Mather noted about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I highly recommend the book. It's not a long book at all, and it's a pretty quick read, at, uh, quick read actually. And the concepts... Uh, are, are perfectly laid out and, and have been really easy to grasp for us non-psychologists. It's available on Barnes and Noble and it's uh, $14.99. It's well worth the money and time to read and, and well worth the, the support for Dr. Mather. That's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. I've added a feature in there now that uh, will allow you to follow my blog and podcast uh, just by signing up for email notifications. So you get the, get the notification right in your inbox. Also, please follow my podcast and leave a positive review if you are listening on a platform that allows reviews. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. 
We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.